welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. This is obviously Healing Sunday, one of the things that we do together corporately. This is why the kids are going to be staying up here with us, is that we're going to partake together as a family, as part of the body of Christ. Your body is where the Spirit of Christ dwells. When all of our bodies are together in the local body, then we become the fullness of the Lord's body here on the earth. And when all of the body of Christ around the world and the saints in heaven come together at the end of the age, then it is complete. And so until it's complete in the heavens with all of the saints that have gone before and all of us that are here, and until it's complete, everybody that's supposed to be at Beloved Church is not here. Three of you? Now we know who's inviting folks to church. The rest of you need to understand that there are body parts that are missing. And they could be missing because you haven't invited them. Okay. Well, I'll just move on. That, that wasn't awesome. You want me to go evangelize people? I know. God forbid. When we are incomplete as the local body, we can still accomplish things, but not all the things. And so we need to be believing. And... Christ in you, the hope of glory, obviously we have that revelation through the hero within. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so there is a, a personal and or private, however you want to say it, manifestation of the fullness of the glory of God in you because Christ is in you. And then there's also another manifestation of the corporate gathering together of the local body. And then there will eventually be a manifestation, which is, wow, when we get to the end of the age. And people don't understand that there are differences there. There's a ton of folks that are having couch church, that's what they call it, or online church or whatever, and they think, well, hey, Jesus is here on my couch and I can watch a preacher online and and have church. No, you cannot. There is a manifestation of the body of Christ together in the local body. And when folks don't come, or if they're not invited, or they don't know that they're a part of that, there is something that does not take place. Now, the Lord is faithful, and so He won't necessarily hinder Ryan Smith because, you know, uh, John Q. Public didn't come to church today. So he's not going to necessarily hinder us. But we do need to understand that the Lord wants all of his family together. And when that happens, when they were all gathered together in the upper room in one accord, 
the Holy Spirit nuked the place. And we want all of the disciples gathered together in one accord, facing the Father in prayer, and then expect to have nuclear things happen in our midst as well. So there is a personal manifestation of the glory of God in your life. There is a corporate local manifestation of the glory of God that God intends for all of his people to share in. And then there will be the end of the age, the consummation of all things, is how it says it in, I believe that's in Second Thessalonians. There will be another manifestation of the glory of God. And some people don't deviate those things in their heart, and so they miss out on things. God wants you to have a personal relationship with him, and he wants it to be incredibly intimate and powerful. But there's more. And there's a lot of folks that miss out on what God has for their lives. I know for a fact, for a fact, I can't tell you how, I won't tell you names, but I know there are people today that are dead, divorced, and not healthy because they've rejected the local gathering together of the saints. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody. I'm not saying that to, like, freak you out. Pastor Steve said, I'll die if I don't go to church. No. You don't go to church? You're... But there are times that you need people to stand with you, to support you, to come alongside of you, to lift you up when you fall down, to tell you to quit being depressed, to kick you in the glutus maximus and tell you that you can do it. And there's a lot of folks that don't want that in their life. They just think that Jesus is going to float down and do amazing things and at midnight as, a, as an angel from heaven. And the problem is, is that some of those people have Satan show up as an angel of light. And then you're a Mormon. Or, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> See, I'm thrown off. I got the video going and I'm all like, I, get, I can be free. So if you have not made yourself available, or made this book available to you, please do that. This is called The uh, Health and Wholeness Through the Holy Communion by Joseph Prince. If, if you've never read it or never gone through it, this is literally an incredible... <laughs> All right, so uh, Cheryl wants this book. <laughs> we have 50 or 60 of them, so everybody can, everybody can have one. This is a 25-minute read, maybe 30-minute read. And if you get this... If you get this, you will never take communion the same. When I first started to kind of stumble in, almost accidentally, into some of these revelations about communion, I actually thought that I was like in blasphemy or hypocrisy. Not hypocrisy, but uh, that I wasn't honoring the Lord right. Because I'm like, wait a minute, if I'd been doing this wrong, and this is really the way it is, I have missed out on a ton on what the Lord has for me. And as you all know, the one of the greatest revelations that's rocked my world is the finished work of the cross. And these two are inseparable. Now I do want to say this. This isn't this is infinitely, infinitely important. Please hear me. You don't get these things by information. They come by revelation. I've actually had people cuss me out over the finished work of the cross message. 
Good Christians, lovely people, amazing, prayer warrior. This particular person is, is an intercessor and cussed me out over the finished work of the cross. Said that, that blankety blank doctrine, uh, damaged my family, caused all these things to happen, da 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 da. And she said, and I reject in Jesus' name the finished work of the cross. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Great intercessor. Well known for their intercessory powers. If you try to do this by information, if you just put data in your computer and expect the glory to pop out, you are going to be just like that person and cuss me out over the finished work of the cross. But if you take the information and you let it saturate your heart and your life and you literally go to the Lord in deep, 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 deep intimacy and it turns into revelation, you will never, ever, ever be the same. Now, all I can offer is the information. I cannot supernaturally release revelation in your Revelation comes from your, the eyes of your heart being opened. This is the difference between religion and the, the incredible stuff that some of us experience. There are people that can sit in this building and, and they're like, yep, I know that song, done that one twice, I know this message, Steve's being funny, da-da-da-da-da. And hug everybody and love everybody, shake hands and do the thing and, and go to the house. And then somebody else could literally, right in the middle of all that, have a life-changing, life-changing experience in the exact same building, in the exact same group, in the exact same aisle, with the exact same information. It is all about the matters of the heart, as Pastor Bob says. So... We're going to do this together corporately. We're going to take communion. This is for Cheryl. (laughs) Dear Lord, God forbid somebody stand up around here. I'm settled. Do the thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 are some of the important verses. In fact, this book just kind of um, unwraps it, unpacks it in in a revelatory way. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to start in verse, what did I tell you, 27, uh, 24. Then after he had given, this is in the CEV, so you probably don't have it unless you have a digital Bible. Um, I, I'm not telling you not to follow along in your Bible, but please listen to the words if you are following along in your Bible, because I, there's some interesting ways that the CEV puts this. Then after he, obviously this is Jesus. At the Last Supper, literally a few hours before he's arrested, falsely accused, falsely condemned, and then put to death by humans, God is killed by man. Then after he had given thanks, thanks for what? Thanks for the opportunity to go to the cross. Very few people go into situations that have persecution, known pain. You, you, you know you're going to deal with a problem. You know, you know you're going to have a, a conversation that could have conflict. 
You know you're going to deal with something that needs to be dealt with. You're going to do something that's got to be done that's not fun. That's not going to give you warm fuzzies. You don't get a bag full of candy at the end of it. And most people knowing that they got to do what they got to do, most of the time, they'll just say, ah, maybe somebody else will. I'll just let Steve get all the revelation, then he can preach it to me, and then I'll be good. Jesus was grateful to the Father for the opportunity to go to the cross and to bleed and die for all of us. And how many people reject what God, what God did, what Jesus did for them in that atoning process? There's entire denominations that reject the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Part of what Jesus did at the atonement was to make a way for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to live in us. If it was not for the atonement, the Holy Spirit could not live in you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit visited, came on, came off. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus has created a temple that should be filled by the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled by the Holy Spirit, then you have not allowed Jesus to finish the work on the inside of you of what he wants to do with the manifestation of the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. He gave thanks for the opportunity to take stripes on his back, to be punched in the face, to be spit on, to be reviled, to be cursed. He gave thanks. Because you were worth it. He's seen the reward of what he was being offered and was grateful for the opportunity. I would encourage you to look into some of the hard things that the Father is asking you to do in your life today, this week, this month. And instead of rejecting the opportunity to do the hard thing, give God thanks that He's anointed and called you to do the hard thing. Not everybody gets the call. And not everybody gets the reward. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken. This is my body, which is given for you. Eat this and remember me. Eat this and remember me. When you are taking this bread, remember him. Now, I know that a lot of people, especially that have come out of denominational settings, you probably have been told, and I'm not picking on them, but you've probably been told to look at you. How holy were you this week? What did you do? Did you do some dumb thing? Maybe you probably shouldn't take the communion. You know, this whole thing that's going on right now with the Catholic Church and, and like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, these ones that are, that are promoting abortion. And so the Catholic Church is saying you can't take communion. And I, I, this is one of those things like I get it, but I don't get it. I get it that the Catholic Church says that you have to have a certain way of life, a certain belief in order to partake of what they're doing. And only specific holy men 
and sometimes women, depending on what part of the Catholic Church you're in, only certain holy men and or women can offer you the communion because you, you have to be elevated to certain places to do all this stuff. And I understand what they're, what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it very, very holy. They're trying to create a sacred moment and guard it well. And I appreciate that. And a person who is promoting and helping murder innocent babies in the womb, I don't know why they'd want to take the communion. To be honest with you, if you're going to, if you believe in killing innocent babies in the womb, then why would you care about Jesus dying for the innocent babies in the womb? Pick a, pick a side. You either believe that Jesus wants people to live and gave them his life to give abundant life to all who would believe, including the babies that were conceived in the womb and God created them, or you don't. I don't know why this is complicated. But uh, anyway, the Catholic Church saying that they're disqualified for communion would then make communion some kind of thing that you qualify for. And if you have to qualify for communion, someone please tell me what the exact qualifications are. Because these churches, these denominations pick and choose. They, they make big sins and little sins. And obviously some denominations even believe in that. The seven mortal sins. And, 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 and they, they, make, they make some kind of delineation as to how much of your life can be destructed by your stupid choices. And, and I'm not a proponent of you going out and doing big sins or small ones. I'm a proponent of you living holy, be holy as I am holy, says Jesus, says the Lord. We, you don't have to sin. I've taken a bunch of flack over that statement. You don't have to sin. The sin of your past and the sin nature of your future we're both crucified on the cross. Amen. Jesus didn't just die for all the stupid stuff you did. He died for the nature that made you do the stupid stuff. He killed them both. His atonement was complete. You don't have to sin. You don't have to leave here and do that thing that you think you have to do because you've always done it. You don't have to wake up tomorrow and plan your failure. The enemy will tell you that you have to. He's convincing you that you should. And you don't have to. You can be as free as the Son who set you free. This is His body. His body. His body was completely broken for us. You need to remember this is... This is something that uh, is really big on the inside of me, that the body represents one part of the atonement, a major part of the atonement, but then the blood represents a different but yet still major part of the atonement. The broken body of the Lord was Him taking all of the brokenness in the natural part of who we are. Stripes on His back, spear in His side, Thorns in his, in his brain representing stress and anxiety. All of the, all of the physical stuff being stripped naked. 
humiliated, having his family torn away from him, all the way down to the, he has to give his mother away. He died completely familyless. He had no generation before or after. And you can read about that in Isaiah. That was part of the prophetic reality of who he had to be. So anything in the natural part or the soulish part of who you are, his body, that was what that did. And the fact that we intertwine these two and we make the blood, the body, and the body, the blood, and then people don't understand that these are two specifically separate functions of his atoning process that you have to put your memory on is why a lot of people are sick and they die young. And we'll see that here in a minute. And so when we hand out these elements, understand that the body part is for the body part of your life. He covered everything. He didn't leave anything undone. He finished what had to be finished. And so if you think that you have to finish something, then you're not recognizing His body and His blood. Well, if I do this, then I'll get that. So then it's your body. Or it's your blood. This is my body which is given given for you. Eat this and remember me. Next verse, please. After the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine in his hand and he said, this is my blood. And with it, God makes his new agreement, new covenant. He's agreeing with you in Jesus' blood. Well, I, I let the Lord down. I broke the covenant. I did stupid stuff. Okay, don't do that. But the covenant can only be broken if Jesus breaks it. Amen? And with it, God makes His new agreement, new covenant with you. So our covenant is in Jesus' blood. Amen. Drink this and remember Him. Him. Remember Him. Not you. Uh, next verse, because I know that some people are like, yeah, but it says examine yourself. We're going to get there. Uh, after the uh, Next verse, please. The Lord meant that when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you tell of his death until he comes. Which is interesting because most of us celebrate the resurrection. And rightfully so. I'm not taking anything away from the resurrection. But if you don't know what he was resurrected from, then you'll never really fully understand what the power of that resurrection is. It's the, the, the best example that I've ever heard was, let's say you were watching TV and you've seen Pastor Steve get arrested for murder. And then on TV would be the big trial. Pastor Steve's being tried for murder. And at the end of the trial, you see on TV that the jury exonerates and says, not guilty, that is not his charge. We've, we've went through the entire case. We have thoroughly investigated everything there was to investigate and we have found him not guilty. 
And so then you turn the TV off, and you go, oh, that was awesome, that's great, awesome that, that Steve got off on that charge, I, I actually believe that, that he's innocent, I don't know, maybe it's TV. You know, one of the things that would change your opinion of things that are going on is if you were in the Walmart and I walked up to you and said, hey, how you doing? Steve physically being there would give you a gravity to the fact that I'm free. You would know that that evidence of murder, I cannot be tried again. There's no such thing as double jeopardy. You know that Steve has been called innocent or righteous by a a jury of his peers. When you physically see me free, like Steve's free. That's what the resurrection represents. Jesus walking out of the tomb represents God saying, this is done. The payment's been made. The redemption has been accomplished. All of the sin, the sickness, the destruction, the sin nature, the brokenness, all of that is obviously taken care of because Jesus walks out of the tomb, which means God accepted the sacrifice. That resurrection was God saying, yep, paid in full. So when we remember the resurrection, all that is is the evidence that the trial has been complete and you now stand completely innocent because of what the Lord has done. That's what the resurrection is. The Lord meant that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, you tell about His death. So the resurrection is just the verification or the evidence of what? Of all the things that happened in His death that He took for us and was sanctified through the, through the fires of hell, of persecution, of wrath, of all the things that He suffered. And so talking about His death is incredibly important. Celebrate the resurrection, but understand all the different parts of His death. And there's, there's hundreds, hundreds. I'm telling you, every time I go through the, the Scriptures again or fresh, I see new places that I'm like, wow, that happened in the atonement. That was something that Jesus did for me. The whole book of Leviticus, going through all the intricacies of of sacrifices and sin sacrifices and this particular goat and that bull and that ram and these pigeons and all. Every time somebody goes through that, I get I get a call from someone in a congregation saying, you know, I'm reading Revela- or I'm reading Leviticus, and I'm like, well, <laughs> this is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> what is the thing with the thing? <clears throat> it all represents some different part of the atoning process that Jesus did. You know, I even had somebody who's like, well, what about these, these body fluids? You know, like, this is a big deal in the Old Covenant. I'm like, yeah, you understand that you are defiled because of the things that come out of you. Jesus actually talked about that. A man's not defiled by what goes into them. A man's defiled by what comes out of them. Jesus is now what comes out of us. Amen. The Lord meant that when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you tell of his death until he comes. Next verse, please. But if you eat the bread and drink the wine in a way that isn't worthy of the Lord, you sin against his body and his blood. So what does this mean? This is the part. Well, now you've got to examine yourself. What if I do it in a way that's not worthy? You know how you do it in a way that's not worthy? You don't recognize what he did. 
One of the things about the body of Christ, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is the chapter before this. Can I get a witness? 10 comes before 11? Okay, praise God. We're on the same page. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both refer to the body of Christ as the local body. So when you're about to take communion for the body that Jesus Christ died for, and you look over at your neighbor and you're like, Stacy Castle. She's terrible. I hate her, the way she plays that piano. If you do that to the body, the local body, what you don't understand, you're like, Jesus, thank you for your body. And I hate your body here on earth. When you have strife, contention, unforgiveness towards somebody in the congregation that the Father has called you to, you are not recognizing the body. Amen. Jesus died for your neighbor that you don't like. So you're not recognizing his body, paying for his body. This is why I love doing this corporate, and I'm like, hey, you need to get this right. If you're sitting next to that person that you got, if you and if you're sitting next to your spouse and you had a fight on the way to church today, we all know uh, Bob and Allie didn't. <laughs> they floated to church today. Let's go to church, okay, honey? Woo! Oh, I got more. But if you got if you got in a fight with your spouse on the way to church today, and then you're going to accept what the Lord did for you, how do you accept that without accepting what the Lord did for the one sitting next to you? How can you have contention, strife, unforgiveness this way, while you are recognizing that He paid for every sin for everybody this way? That's recognizing his body. You've got to do this this way. That's why Jesus said, if you remember, he said, before you give your offering, if you know your brother's got ought against you, go make it right. Because if you're going to give a natural offering, and I'm not going to preach on this, but natural money offerings this way represents a spiritual gift this way. And I haven't preached on this maybe ever because people... Don't ever want the preacher to talk about money. That's why I got Bob up here, because then you can't blame me for talking about your money. It's Bob, he's part of the congregation, and so you can be like, oh, I'll let Bob talk about my money. Steve gets up there, he can shut up. <clears throat> but this natural aspect of you giving money is a spiritual aspect of you giving it unto the Lord. If you read Hebrews, the only place that the word tithe is used in the entire New Testament says that men receive tithes on earth, but it's our high priest in heaven that actually receives it. Every dollar you give this way or you don't stops this or helps this. I know people are thinking, so I can give money and get... No. Because at your heart is that in-between part. If your heart's not associated with this, then your heart can't be associated with this. But the fact that people don't give or tip God. They come to church and I'm, I'm going to give my, my 20 bucks today. I'm at church. Here's my tip, God. Thanks for filling my water at the restaurant. Keep it. Keep your tip. God doesn't want your tip. He's not your waiter 
bring in a hamburger. He became crucified. And if the best you can do is tip him, I'm not going to preach on money. (laughs) After all the stuff I just said. (laughs) No, I didn't preach. I just little, little, little stuff and things. Next verse. (laughs) This is why you must examine the way you eat and drink. The way you eat and drink. How are you doing it? Are you having forgiveness and love flow toward your neighbor? Are you having gratitude flow between your father, Jesus, what he's done for you? Are you recognizing that he took your sin nature so you no longer have a sin nature? Amen. You, in order to have these things right, this is you have to recognize what was done for you and have your thought life completely congruent with what Jesus did for you. Verse 29, if you fail to understand that you are the body of the Lord, you will condemn yourself by the way you eat and drink. Oh boy, just yesterday I was ministering to, what is yesterday? No, not yesterday. Yesterday was a full day. (laughs) Day before. I was ministering somewhere lately, and the prophetic word that I had, the gal came up after I ministered. And it was, it was immediate and, and powerful on the inside. I'm like, you have guilt, condemnation, and shame. And she just exploded like, oh. And it, this is so a normal part of people's lives. So a normal part. And this is a major part of what the Lord did. He died to take away your guilt. And you not recognizing that is going to keep you in a place of condemnation. And the amazing part is, is so many good-intentioned preachers, good-intentioned preachers, have done communion with their congregations and put people into more condemnation instead of getting them out of condemnation. This should be the moment that the whole congregation comes together and they say, you know what, I'm making it right, I'm, I'm wiping the slate, I'm remembering what Jesus did for me. I'm I'm sorry, Lord, that I had a fuss with this person. I'm sorry, Lord, that I did that stuff and that thing. I I thank you, Lord, that you my my sins and my iniquities and my trespasses you remember no more. You throw all my stupid into the sea of forgetfulness. You You have washed me and cleansed me. I am sorry that I forgot about what the Lord did in His body and in His blood. And I am going to come to this place and I am no longer going to accept the condemnation that the enemy puts on me making me think that I'm the one that's got to keep the covenant when it was Jesus' faithfulness that kept the covenant. And so I am walking away from this performance mentality kind of Christianity. And in this moment, I am placing your body and your blood in the forefront of my understanding of the atonement process and the covenant that I now live in. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you did. You will condemn yourselves by the way you eat and drink if you fail to understand what His body and what His blood has done for you. And then verse 30, the one that really throws folks off, this is why many of you are sick and weak, and this is why a lot of others have died. 
I'm telling you, I have physically seen this with my own eyes. People get sick, people get divorced, and people die. This is the only place in the entire New Testament, I challenge you, I've looked. This is the only place in the entire New Testament that will tell you why, directly why, a Christian gets sick and dies young. The only place. Now that by itself should shake you to the core. To recognize the fact that these are incredibly, incredibly important revelations. And most people just gloss over this. Quick, bring the cracker, do the, do the shot, bam, did it. Now let's move on to the important stuff. <laughs> this is pretty important. I don't want a single person ever for the rest of my life in ministry ever to be sick, divorced, or dead early because they are not recognizing the body of the Lord and the body of the local congregation. Verse 31. If we certainly judge ourselves, we won't be punished. You can take this moment and you can say, all right, I am going to on purpose allow this revelation to come into my life in a better way. And I'm going to walk away from all the carnality and, 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 and all the immaturity that I, I came into this church with. And I'm going to walk out in the maturity of the covenant. I'm going to recognize his body and his blood. Last verse. But when the Lord judges and punishes us, he does it to keep us from being condemned with the rest of the world. So in this moment, you can allow the Lord to judge your wrong way of thinking. It's not judging you, condemning you to death. We just went through those verses. But you can allow the Lord to judge, and judge is good. I know that a lot of people struggle with the word judgment. But I want judgment. Does anybody want judgment for all the evil things that have happened on our earth? Over the last two years. Fake, fake stuff. <laughs> manipulated things. Evil. All that stuff. Do you want justice? Do you want the truth to come out? Do you want the darkness to be exposed? All the evil players behind the scene, do you want them to be exposed? Do you want to find out about all the secret things that all the secret people did? Do you want judgment, justice to happen over all that stuff? You want justice. God is a God of justice. I want Him to judge me. I want Him to tell me, this is just on the inside of you. This is unjust. You want God to judge you because he's the righteous judge. And that same God that's judging you is the God that died for you shedding his blood. Don't you know his justice will include his mercy? And he does it to keep us from being condemned with the rest of the world. If you allow him to help you understand these truths, you will not have the same condemnation that those that are lost have in their lives. And you will be free. So if the ushers would come forth and hand out the elements. And I want you, as you're receiving these elements from our ushers that are serving us, I, I want you to be very purposeful about going into your thing. Whatever that thing is that you have. 
This is a time for you to be intimate and corporate. Intimate and corporate. I know that people struggle with that. But you can look at things that are in you, which would be the roots, and then also look at the damage that the fruits might have caused from not recognizing that. And in this moment, you get to deal with both. Usually the Lord has, has principles or doctrines that we can go through with the scriptures and we deal with one or the other. We either kind of deal with the root and then eventually the fruit gets dealt with because the, the tree changes and so the fruit eventually comes out right. Or sometimes there's, there's times that the Lord directly says, hey, that's a terrible fruit. Good tree, bad fruit. And that does happen. Every once in a while, a good tree will pop off a bad fruit, and every once in a while, a bad tree will pop off a good fruit. It happens. <laughs> but in this moment, you actually get this, this unique and divine opportunity to deal with both. You can deal with root, and you can deal with fruit in the exact same moment. Body, fruit, blood, root. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ changes your sin nature... And the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is what was paid for all the different things that happened in the curse. Sickness and disease, it's from the curse. Poverty and lack, it's from the curse. Oppression, depression, uh, strife, anxiety, all that stuff are fruits of the curse. We wouldn't have that as a human race if it wasn't for Adam. We're all victims. (laughs) And Jesus became the ultimate victim for all of our victims, and now He's made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We are seated at the right hand of God the Father. So whatever fruit of the curse, and whatever in your thought life, your belief system that makes it okay for you to have the root of that, you get to deal with both in one moment. So, everybody should have the elements. So take the cracker, and this is the fruits. And I want you to, on purpose, put your finger on and identify something in your life that you know should not be hanging from your branches. And the Lord will deal with it to the degree that you'll deal with it. If you want to hang on to it, if you want to protect it, like, no, this is my fruit. I've been working on this sucker a long time. Then you can keep it. But if you want to give that up, and you no longer want that to be a part of your life. That sickness, that disease, that, that, person, that negative personality trait, that, that way of thinking. Whatever that is, if you want that to be gone, here's your chance. So, Father, we recognize that Jesus did something unique with his body that we could not do. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your body that took away all the fruits of the curses on mankind. And we cast our burdens onto you. We cast our cares on you. You care for me. So when you've placed your finger on that thing, break the bread that's going to break that thing in your life. Jesus was broken for you so that you no longer have to be broken. And then eat it, and it's going to turn into the resurrection on the inside of you. And then this cup is the root.
This is the sin nature. That when you were born, when you came out of your mama's womb, you were a sinner. Not by action, by nature. And because your nature was sinner, eventually you perfected the actions. Some of you needed to amen that right there. You were a good sinner. You did it professionally. Some of us, like me, I was pretty holy. I was an amateur. Some of you. (laughs) That activity, that action, that belief system came out of your nature being broken. What Jesus does with his blood is he changes out your blood. And the life of the flesh is in the blood. He literally swaps your human cursed DNA for his divine perfect DNA. You no longer have the blood that made you do the things you did. Now you're free. So when you believe that you can swap your broken nature for the Lord's perfect nature, then thank him and take the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for taking away all of my old ways. I receive your resurrection. Amen. Amen. Now, your root and your fruit are dealt with. Got a new root, new fruit. And we're going to talk about how that breaks out in your life. So all the young people that are here, that have waited patiently, God bless you. Thank you for participating with us in this family moment. Please go follow Jessica. Jessica's going to lead you down where raindrops and... And lollipops and gum. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Go to kids' church. All right, all the adults that are still left, or those people that are pretending to be adults, we're going to go through Steve's stuff on Healing Sunday. I'm on number five of Steve's stuff. If you don't remember one through four, you can go to... December 12th, 2021, February 13th, 2022, April 10th, 2022, and June 12th. Wait, that's today. June 12th. Okay. That's where I covered some of the other Steve stuff. We're going to do number five. I'm going to real quickly go through one through four just to bring you up to speed. In Jesus' name. Somebody declare it with faith. You can do it. Third John... You guys know we always end with the blessing that I, I do over here, which is 3 John, verse 2. Chapter 1, there's only one chapter. 3 John, verse 2. <clears throat> when we went through the series, I did a whole series on having a, a prosperous soul, the prosperity of your soul, which is how that verse ends. 3 John, verse 2 ends with, that you are going to have divine health and you are going to have the prosperity in your life equivalent to how your soul is prospering. One of the things that I did not cover in that series, not because I forgot, it's just because this is going to be a part of everything we do from here on out. It's not going to be in a series. It's going to be a part of, of our culture. Is the next verse 
where this is John writing to the beloved Gaius, which is someone that's close, a disciple of John's. Uh, Verse 3, please. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Please understand that what John is doing here is he is connecting the prosperity of your soul to truth. You cannot prosper in your soul without truth. I don't care how many things in your life are awesome. If you are in a lie, in a deception, in a con, if you're being conned, you will not prosper. It is impossible. Truth is what creates the ability for your soul, your mind, your will, your personality, your emotions to be prospering. So if you want your health to prosper, you want your finances to prosper, it's going to come directly from how much truth your soul is embracing and living in. I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as you walk in the truth. This also shows two really important things about living a life in truth. One is knowing the truth, and two is walking the truth. I can't tell you how many times I've ministered to someone and I said, well, you know, the Bible says da-da-da. Yeah, I know that. Are you doing it? Well, no, I can't. You know it. Yes. Are you doing it? No. Then you don't really know it. Because if you really knew it, this is the difference between head knowledge that you decide whether you want to or not, and actually heart belief that persuades you and compels you to actually take your feet, your hands, your mouth, and change what they're doing. Your walk is the, is the clearest way for you to understand what you really believe. You cannot tell me that you really believe in the love of God and then be mean to your spouse. You don't. That is what you, how you live your life. James tells us that the, your faith is going to manifest in your actions. And so I can look at your actions and tell you what your faith is. And I know people are like, well, you're judging me. No, I'm judging your actions. Well, still, what if my actions are different than my beliefs? Then you're confused. And you still need to be judged as confused. And we're going to help you be unconfused. Right? What, what do parents do when their children are a little confused? They take a spoon and they help them with their confusion. There's, there, for some reason, there happens, there's this thing that, that when a, a gluteus maximus is, is stung by a piece of wood, it enacts this part of the brain that says, hey, I was stupid. It's magical. So as adults, as much as I'd like to have a spoon, it just doesn't work that way. We have, to, we have to be inspired in our heart to change our belief systems, which, which will then change the way we live out our lives. Verse uh, 4, please. I have no greater joy. You, you want to make the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus Christ rejoice? Walk in the truth. 
I, I know this not only obviously spiritually, scripturally, but I know this personally. I don't want your money, dear Jesus. I don't want your stuff. I don't want you to write me cards and send them to, in the mail. I don't need your thanks. I don't need you to come up and tell me it's the greatest sermon ever. In fact, I would rather you not. You know what? If you want to bless me, walk in the truth. Walk in the truth. If you want to bless me, I have laid down my life. I laid down the big job with all the money, all the stuff. I laid down being liked by everybody to now being hated by everybody. I laid all that down. I spend hours and hours and hours, pretty much from when I wake up to when I go to bed. It's all day, every day, seven days a week, studying the scriptures, looking for opportunities to bless people, looking for opportunities to get the truth out farther into more people's hearts, into more play. You want, you want to tell me thank you? Live it. That's it. Literally. I, God will take care of me. I promise you. God will bless me. He'll, he'll give me nice stuff and he'll send me financial blessings and he'll do all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying don't. I mean, if the Lord tells you to do something, do it. But this is the thing. This is the thing that gets in my heart when I'm like, oh, man, they're doing that. They're living it out. They're living out the things that I've been ministering. It's the, all of you parents in the room. It, do you want your kids to send you a Mother's Day card? Or do you want your kids to be what you mothered them to be? That's, that's how I'm, I'm like a father of the house or a shepherd or a patriarch, however you want to put it. I don't, I don't, I don't need your honor. I don't need your, the glory. I don't need you to tell everybody that you've got a great church or a great pastor or anything. Just walk these things out and people will figure it out. You spend 20 minutes with me, you'll figure out i got a great wife. It's just true. You're going to talk about things that are great for you. If you spend two or three hours with someone, a buddy, you go golfing with a, with a buddy, you spend two, three hours with them, and, and you get back in your car and you're like, oh, I don't even know if they're married. I wonder if they got kids. Guess what's not really important? What's important to you, you talk about. Especially if you're being blessed by it. This is what I want. I want you to walk in these things. So when I go through these things, understand this isn't like just some list of stuff that Steve um, wants, wants to talk about or, or these are the cool things. Uh, I eventually believe that this will turn into a book because i got ten of these things. But I want you to let these things settle down in you. And some of them are going to be kind of out there. And some of them, you probably already have some tingles about it. But once again, these things manifesting in your life, the divine health that you were supposed to have, are going to be contingent on you getting this by revelation. By revelation, not information. Revelation. So, your divine health comes from one Singular source. Your belief in, your understanding of, your walking out, the finished work of the cross. 
Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. I think this is in the BSV. Yep. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 in the BSV. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. It's amazing because people can believe that, yes, by his blood that we that our sins have been dealt with, but they miss that by his stripes you're healed. So if you believe one part, why don't you believe the other part? It's the same verse. Psalm 103, uh, verses 2 and 3, I think, say the same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who healeth all thy diseases. And forgives all thy iniquities. Literally, if you believe that he heals, or if you believe that he forgives all of your sins, then you also have to believe that he heals all your diseases. He heals them. Now, I want to remind you as Christians, healing is not for you. The five people that amen me are the ones that have paid attention in the past. Healing's not for Christians. Jesus didn't heal a single Christian. He doesn't heal Christians. Healing is for the world. That's the dinner bell that the world says, hey, this Jesus stuff is awesome. You're in the body of Christ. You have the healer in you, and so health, divine health, should be flowing out of you like rivers of living water, Obviously, you, as the producer of the river, should be wet. We give away healing. We live in health. Amen. Amen. Christians don't need healing. Christians need a revelation of the divine health that's on the inside of you because the healer, the great physician, lives in you. So he's the one that healed us. Matthew 8, 17. So Isaiah prophesied that there was a Messiah that was coming that says that one day this Messiah is going to come and his stripes are going to bring healing. So Matthew 8, 17. While Jesus was right in the middle of healing all these people, Matthew literally stops his commentary in his gospel and he says, the reason he was doing this was to fulfill what Isaiah said. And Isaiah said that he was going to come himself and take our infirmities and heal our diseases. He literally stops the entire gospel. And so I just got to put this in real quick. The reason Jesus did all this stuff right above me, verses 1 through 16, which were three different healings. The reason he did that was because Isaiah said he was going to take sickness and disease away. Do you see people? And then he picks back up in verse 18 and continues on with the gospel. It's like he literally stops, freezes, pauses the tape and says, look, he's doing this to take sickness and disease from people. And then Peter comes along in 1 Peter 2.24, who's the, the leader of the church, the pillar of the church at that time. And 1 Peter is the first of the first epistle, the first letter from Peter, the leader of the church. And he's saying, well, you do know that back there, the guy that I walked around with as his disciple, as his apostle, you know, even Matthew said it, 
that the reason that he took stripes was to fulfill what Isaiah said, was congruent with what Matthew said, and it was to take your sickness and your disease. By whose stripes you were healed. Were past tense. Matthew talks about it in the present tense. Isaiah talked about it in the future tense. So Isaiah said, someone's coming to take your sicknesses and diseases. Matthew says, look, this guy's taking your sickness and diseases. And then Peter said, you know, he took your sickness and disease. That comes by revelation. I just gave you all the information about the finished work of the cross as it relates to you walking in divine health. But it's going to manifest by revelation. James says that you are going to express in your life what you believe by how you live it. A person who... um, Walks around on crutches, takes 47 pills, their entire life is going from doctor appointment to doctor appointment. I was just, who, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and this is literally what people do now. This is the new way of retiring. The new retirement thing is figure out which days are which doctor. What are you doing on Monday? Well, I can't do nothing on Monday. I gotta to go to this doctor. Or what about Tuesday? Well, I gotta to go to the specialist on Tuesday. What about Wednesday? Well, I gotta to go to my regular doctor on Wednesday. What about Thursday? This is literally what people do in retired life now. This is their thing. They, they, they go from 40 hours a week, terrible job that they don't like, doing something they don't like to do, doing it for people they don't even really like, producing things that they don't even care if these things get produced, and then they finally push through and retire. And then they get a calendar so they can figure out which doctor to go to over whatever broken part about their lives. Man, if you cannot put together that this is satanic from beginning to end the way that the devil has convinced humanity to live, I don't know how to help you. You are not created to live that way. Your manifestation of these things, if you, if this is your life, going from doctor to doctor, pill to pill to pill, then all I'm, I'm not condemning you, I'm not shaming you, I'm not guilting you, I'm not saying you're a terrible person. I'm just saying you don't have a revelation of those three verses I just told you. You don't have a revelation that Isaiah said he's going to come and take sickness and disease. Matthew saying, look, he's taking sickness and disease. And then Peter saying, hey, you know, he took your sickness and disease. You just don't have that revelation. Not condemning you, not shaming you, not guilting you. I'm just saying. You're going to doctor to doctor, from pill to pill, from thing to thing. You don't have that revelation. I'm hopefully inspiring you to get it. It'll save you tons of money on doctor bills. I mean, if that by itself doesn't inspire you. You know how much money Kay and I have saved on not having health insurance for 14 years? Do the math. I don't know how much you guys pay for it. I've heard it's crazy expensive. Well, we didn't pay zero because Obama chastised us for not having health insurance. So for four years, we had to pay the Obama penalty because we didn't have health insurance. One day, someone will explain that to me, and they'll try to make sense. It it hasn't worked yet. So we got punished because we didn't have health (laughs) care. We got punished for being healthy. Typical, 
typical American uh, socialistic system. Oh, you're healthy? Pay us. Oh, you're married? Pay us more. Oh, your kids love you? Pay us more. We'll keep rewarding all of the evil behaviors. Hey, you want to have 14 kids out of wedlock with 14 different people and live in government-subsidized housing and have a free phone and have all that's awesome. You're the best. Be married, love your spouse, be healthy, and raise kids that love you. Oh, you got to pay tons of penalties. Thank you, government. You're wonderful. One day, the kingdom of God is going to come and His will is going to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And they're going to find out that their way of government was not the God's way of government. James chapter 1, verses 17 through 24. James tells us very, very blatantly, your life. If I follow you around and listen to you and check your checkbook register and watch what you put your emotions on, and see all the things that you stare at on your glowing screens. And watch where your feet go. I will tell you what you believe. This is why nobody invites me to do that. Amen. It's just true. <clears throat> you only hide what you're ashamed of. James 1.17. Or, I'm sorry, 2.17. James 2.17. My bad. Even, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead. Being alone. Notice that faith does not like to be lonely. Your faith does not want to be lonely. It wants to be accompanied with what? Your works. Next verse, please. Yea, a man may say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, I ain't going to tell you what I believe. I'm going to live it. You, you can check my checkbook register anytime you want. You want to follow me around all day, every day? You can come. I'll set you up a little cot in my bedroom. We'll get up together. We'll go do all the stuff all day long together. You can hear all my conversations. You can watch me interact with Kay. You can hear the stuff. Most of the stuff that I believe and I talk about are right here on YouTube. When they said, hey, you know, the preacher, or the uh, the government's going to come after the preachers because of what they said. You better hide your messages. You better keep your notes to yourself. I'm like, come and get me. Everything I believe is right there. It's been on record for 10 years. And you're not going to hear something different. What Kay and I talk about in our living room is what I'm talking about with the camera. I'm not hiding nothing. There is zero that I'm putting in a closet. There is zero of my light that's going under a bushel. You want to come follow me around? Follow me around. We'll do it. It'll be fun. We'll lay hands on the sick. We'll see him recover. We'll preach. We'll quote verses together. Amen. I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God... You do well. This is probably the most sarcastic verse in all of the Bible. You believe there's one God? Woohoo! Yay for you! You're special. Yeah, the devils believe. <laughs> Man, I've said this to people and they've actually gotten mad at me. Like, you ain't got to be sarcastic about it. I'm quoting the Bible. You believe that there's a God? Yep. Oh, you do well. Way to go. You and the devils are equal. Christian, you have as much Christianity as Satan. <laughs> yep, I know. 
This is why I get in trouble. In fact, Satan's Christianity is more authentic because he trembles. Amen. When Satan hears us worship God the way we worship God and, and the presence of God, fall, he trembles. And some of you answer text messages. Notice I didn't look at anybody. It's all you YouTube people. Next verse. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You know when the Bible says something dead? It's dead. God knows the difference between alive and dead because he's the one that made the difference. So when he says your faith is dead, it's dead. Next verse, please. Was not Abraham our father justified, made just, just as if I'd never sinned is a good way of understanding justified. Abraham our father was justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Next verse. See thou, seest thou has faith wrought by his works, and by works his faith was made perfect. It means mature. The word perfect doesn't mean perfect. It means mature. It was his actions that matured his faith to the point where he was just. Amen. And remember, he, he didn't do the actions to show off. He wasn't showing off to God. He was being obedient. This is why people struggle with obedience. Because obedience directly to God requires faith. And a lot of people just aren't going to do that faith stuff. Like, give me the insurance. You know we have insurance for everything. Everything. Which goes into the mentality of the American Christian. Well, I don't actually have to do all the divine health stuff because if I'm not healthy, we got doctors, we got nurses, we got we got medicine, we got I mean, there's like 50 other things that I can have besides actual healing. I mean, if I get healed, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. I'll even put an extra tip in the in the offering. But if I don't, I uh when Bob and I were in Pakistan, uh there were people that were trampling other people to get to us to get healed. You know why? In Pakistan, if you're sick, you beg, you die. You beg, you die. The best option is beg. Most likely you die. They don't have the safety nets. They don't have the doctors lined up waiting to take your thousands of dollars so that they can pump some kind of drug into your system and make you not know that you're still sick. In Pakistan, you get healed or you die. So they trample people to get healed. And I know you're probably thinking, no way. Nobody would trample people to get God and God would still heal them. Yahweh. Because they're actually in faith. I have yet to be in America and preach on healing and have anybody interrupt my message and stand up to receive healing. Yet. And don't you dare. Now you can't. But I often, often would be in other lands, other countries, and be preaching on the finished work of the cross and healing and divine health, and people would come down to receive mid-message because they were so motivated to move about these messages 
But Americans are just like, huh, good point, Pastor. We'll think about that next year. Oh, another good point. Valid. Got it. Action. People tend to not disagree with anything I say. Because they get it, well, I know the Bible says that. So, yeah, I agree. Are you going to do it? <laughs> do it. I'm not going to do it. I got health insurance. Uh, I want to I skip ahead. Number one, this is Steve's stuff. Let me give you the definition of divine health, and then the number one thing that I do in my life to activate this divine health. The work that I do that is congruent with what I believe. So when I go through these things, these are going to be things that flow out in my life, actual works in my life, that are congruent with me believing that Jesus has healed me. I don't do these things to get healed. I do these things because I'm healed. The definition of, my definition of divine health is possessing and manifesting the quality and quantity of life that Jesus himself has. He said that you'll have everlasting life, eternal life. That means the quality and quantity of life that he has right now. 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. So however you can imagine Jesus right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, however healthy you can imagine Jesus is right now, that's what you can have right now. As he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 17. Possessing and manifesting the quality and quantity of life that Jesus himself has right now. A born-above disciple, 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 who is holy, healthy, Spirit, soul, and body. When a soul is healthy, it is walking in the truth. We just read that. Transformed by the spirit word of God, the word of God that's manifested in spirit. When a body is healthy, it is fit and shapely, in addition, devoid of sickness, disease, and symptoms associated with the fall or the curse. Not one amen. Not one. Okay, well, you said one word I didn't like. I'm just telling you that's what the definition is. We're, we're not all there yet. One. Who? Number one thing that I do, because I know that God has healed me. Jesus healed me at the cross. So the number one thing I do to understand that these are fruits of that is that I honor my father and my mother. This is why many Christians don't live in divine health, because they don't honor. Honor, not obey. If you've got a bad dad or a bad mom or whatever, and they tell you to do stupid stuff, don't do stupid stuff, but you can still honor people that are that haven't got stuff figured out. Anybody have a job? You better honor your boss. That doesn't mean that they're godly, that they're that you worship them, that you burn altars of incense on them. Or it, it just means that you're going to honor them for the position that they have because God gave you that posi- that job, and so you're going to honor them. You're going to work for them as unto the Lord. 
Now, the cool thing is for me is that I have a great mom and a great dad, so I can honor them, and it's not so difficult. But Ephesians chapter 6 says that this is specific, and this is the reason it's number one for me, because this was pre-finished work of the cross. In the Ten Commandments, there was only one command that had a promise attached to it, and that promise was health. This is radical, and a lot of people don't get this. The reason our society is breaking down with this fatherless generation, 50% of every baby born in today's society is born fatherless. Uh, the, I just read a stat, I think it was 60% of people under 25, 25 and under, don't believe that marriage is really that important anymore. They're just shacking up, doing whatever they want to do. Which means they're not honoring their father and their mother. If you're not doing it, you're obviously not honoring the system that God put in place. God put systems in place, father and mother, which means married. If you're not living that, then you're not honoring the system that God has. And you can say that you honor God. You can say that you'd... But I'm just telling you, the fruits are you're not. Because if it was really something that was beneficial to you, you'd do it. Obey, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So obedience is in the Lord. Notice this, this is important. So I obey things that are exactly congruent with God. If God says this is right, and my parents say this is right, and they ask me to do it, I do it. If God says this is right, and my parents say this is right, and they disagree, then I don't do what my parents say, I do what God says. You obey God. And if people that are in places of authority over you are in agreement with God, then you obey the people. If they don't, if they say, hey, we redefine marriage and now it's between a man and a man and we're the Supreme Court, so we're more supreme than God, then Steve Castle disobeys. I honor the Supreme Court. I appreciate the Supreme Court because when I went to the Supreme Court to defend the church, they agreed with me. So they were right. And when they did the marriage thing, they're wrong. And so I'm going to disobey putting a man and a man together in a marriage. That's not marriage. That's blasphemy. God said one man, one woman, in covenant for the rest of their lives. That's what God says. I'm going to obey God. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Next verse, please. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. The next verse, please. That it may be well with thee, and you may live long on the earth. There's the promise. Do you want to have things go well for you? Do you want to live long? Do that. Do you want to have things go bad for you? Live short? Treat your mother and your father with dishonor. I didn't write it. Send an email to heaven and tell God you don't like what he said. Number two, Steve stuff. It's actually very congruent to this one. Honor authority. Honor authority. Those that God has placed in, in positions of authority in your life. And I know this. Uh, lots of American Christians struggle with this because nobody's in charge of them, including God. If they like what God says, they'll do it. If they don't like what God says, then they just like, whatever. 
what do you think you are, God? They don't honor authority. God could literally place a shepherd, and you're, they're going to be the sheep. Well, I'll grow my own wool. I'll need you. I'll find my own way around here. I'll find my own grass, find my own water. That's right. That's a wolf. I probably didn't think this through. No, you probably didn't. God actually puts you in a safe place, and you decided to wander off and you're doing your own thing. If you don't like authority, that's fine. You don't have to like authority. I hope you like the wolf and the jaws and the crevices. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls. This is why a bunch of people's in their souls are mucked up. I'm not going to have any authority in my life. Well, good luck. Hope you and your soul get it all figured out. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. You know what I get as a, as a spiritual leader, those of you that are unique enough to actually be uh, in the fold and I'm your pastor, you know what I get if you do the wrong thing? I get grief. That's what I get. You know what you get? Unprofitable. Unprofitable is literally a technical medical term for having unfavorable symptoms. I didn't write it. Again, send Jesus an email, tell him you don't like it. Well, you put me in that stupid church with that stupid pastor. I know. He, he you know, God loves to laugh. He loves to laugh. Sometimes he's like, you know, you should go to Beloved Church. Steve's going to be great for you. And then God does that. <laughs> Watch this. Gabriel, come here. Watch this. Ah, oh, that was hilarious. Number three. Honor the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just did that. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 says that people that don't do this are sick, weak, and they die young. Don't do that. Behold, I place before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life, that both you and your seed may live. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Number four thing that Steve's stuff is, is that you have a godly mental attitude or disposition. Your mentality has a ton to do with how healthy you live. You think broken, you be broken. You think depressed, you get oppressed. You think sick, you get sick. You think victim, you become victim. You think miserable, you are miserable. Romans 8, 5-7 through 7 in the NLT. This is one of the few places that I really love the NLT. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Sinful things doesn't just mean like sin like watch porn. Sin is anything that misses the mark. And so if you think about how miserable your life is, and woe is me, and that person did mean things to me, and I can't believe they said this, and you know what happened to me when I was five? Who cares? You're not five anymore. Man, I I can't tell you how many people I've seen that their lives have been destroyed from things that happened to them decades ago. I'm like, it was that long ago. I know, but it still hurts. What? How does it still hurt? 
Because I kept the memory. Well, lose it. You can do it. The Lord gave you the ability to actually have, have rights to control what happens up here. There's very few things you get to control in life, and this is one of them. You should do it well. Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. <laughs> Next verse. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Hello? Anybody know what death is? A headache. Amen? Throwing up. It, it feels like death. I haven't done it in like 20 some years, but I know it. I remember. I'm like, man, I'd rather die. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind, your way of thinking, your thought life, your mentality, leads to life and peace. Well, I'm not experiencing life and peace. Oh, don't say it out loud. I just read the verse. Now we know what you think. Well, it doesn't work for me. I tried that. It doesn't work. Oh, you tried it. Well, good for you. You don't try these things. You do them. If you do them, life and peace is what you'll have. Well, I don't have any peace. Then we know what you're thinking about. Again, don't get mad at me. Send Jesus an email. Garbage at gmail.com. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. This world wants you to think about things hostile to the way the Spirit wants you to think. It never did obey God's laws. It never. Is that anybody know? Never is like God's word. You know, the natural way of thinking will never, ever line up with God's way. You have got to think the way God thinks through His word, through His Spirit, or you will never. Ever. I don't care how much self-help you do. I don't care how many therapists you see. I don't care how many tens of thousands of dollars you give to your psychologist because he's the best psychologist ever. Until you start thinking the way that God planned for your brain to work. These people that have chemicals that are messed up in their brain, it's because you're thinking wrong ways. And it's producing wrong chemicals. I'm not denying the fact that people got things that are out of alignment in their brain. I'm just denying the fact that they got out of alignment and then they decided to start thinking depressive thoughts. No, you think depressive thoughts and you're going to generate chemicals that go in agreement with what you're thinking. And then, number five. In eight minutes. Man, tonight on Rumble, I'm going to rip it. And there's five points for number five. Five clauses for number five. Maybe I'll just say them. Okay, so you guys want me to shut up. Just, I don't even have to say them. That's it. Just... A. Health. Which is the finished work of the cross, not the flesh. So, A, your health is very different than your fitness, which is very different than your shape, and they come from different places. 
part of manifesting the finished work of the cross is going to be in all these different areas. You know, you can be healthy and not shapely. You can be healthy and not fit. I know. I greet some of you when you come down the sidewalk and you're out of breath because you went 40, pe- 40 paces. <laughs> Look at that camera. <laughs> I'm not picking on nobody. But you're, just, you're not shapely. You're not fit. Which means that you aren't manifesting the type of health that God wants you to have. He wants you to be shapely and fit. He made all these things in here. You add extra weight on the front and you will bend forward. If you bend forward long enough, you will have pain in your back. And it's not Satan. Is this shocking to anybody? Am I I messing with the logic of of anybody in the room? You, You walk with a limp and your body is going to have to make up for the limp. This is how people, you, you, you hurt your knee when you were in football in high school and, it, and you say so you had a limp for 20 years and then somebody has to get a hip replaced. Why? Because you put extra weight, extra pain, extra misery on a part of your body that was never meant to do this. God meant for you to be healthy, finished work of the cross, shapely, decision you make, and fit, decision you make. And so you can, you, can under, you can have the finished work of the cross and live in the divine health that Jesus has for you, but you are going to be assaulted a thousand times more with temptations to be sick than a person who is shapely and fit. If you're shapely and fit, you remove a ton of opportunities for Satan to come and tempt you with stuff. You guys okay? Because I say these things and people are like, is he looking at me? No, I'm not looking at you. If you're not thin, that's, I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'll just move on. Second Timothy chapter two verses, uh, one through seven. I'm not going to read them because you know what happened with the clock. This gives us three different ways that Paul told Timothy he needed to live his life. It was a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Go read these verses in your leisure. In that day, all three of these people were very fit. Very fit. If you remember the Olympics, which was started way back then in Greece, they ran, they did all these things naked to show off how fit they were. They were incredibly, minutely fit. Go look at the statues of that time, that Greek time. Every single muscle, every single thing was done. They were very, very intense about fitness. Now, why would Paul tell Timothy three different things, specifically about how to live out the godly Christian life, that all three of these people were representative of of the fitness and the shapeliness of a culture that was committed to doing things and being successful at them. Because he expected the people that were of God to live their lives in such a way that they were actually even in control of this. I know it's shocking to think that the Spirit of God could move on the inside of a person and actually have them help with lunch. Okay, the people that are laughing are letting this actually 
help. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, and 17. I'm going to read these because I want you to know that they're in the Bible. I didn't make them up. Do you know that your body, that, you're, that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? You think God wants to dwell in something that's sloppy and greasy and, and, there's, and there's garbage on the floor and, you know, and the plumbing is overflowing into the neighbor's living room and the bed is never made. And the, Was that where God would live? If God lives there, it would look like God lived there. Close your eyes, ask God to take you to heaven, and when you get to heaven, tell me how many plumbing leaks there are. Tell me how many ceiling tiles are falling down. Tell me how many piles of stuff are on the floor. You're that temple. (laughs) You guys don't like this. Verse 17. Get back to the spiritual stuff. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Whoa, he thinks pretty highly of your temple. Whoa. Whoa. Maybe you should. Well, I can do whatever I want to. This is my body. Whatever feels good, do it. Good. You you just keep that up. And then when you get to heaven, you just say, what did you do with that temple I gave you? I did whatever I felt like. (laughs) Yeah. Look how that works. Maybe I should uh, hold you accountable for what you were supposed to do with what I gave you. No, no, no. Don't do that. Fitness. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Man, look at that clock go. You guys are like praying in tongues for the clock to go. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? What? (laughs) Which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? This is mine. I can do whatever I want to with it. You should get born again. If you get born again, what you do is you actually say, Hey God, this used to be mine. I screwed it up a lot. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Can you help? I'd love to help, but I need to own it. Well, no, because I want to control my diet and how much I sleep and do all the stuff and things that I like to do. And I like video games and I like sugar. Okay, well, then you keep it. Come back to me when you're willing to give it to me. Verse 20. Oh, look at the clock. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God In your, what? (laughs) Would to God, would to God, that someone could walk up to us at the Walmart and say, man, you are glorifying God with your body. It feels good when people do it. I've heard. <laughs> All I ever get is when I do it at night, when I take my clothes off, get in bed. Kay's like, whoop, you're glorified. <laughs> That's my faith right there. I'm believing for it. One day. One day. And the light will be on. Both of them will be miraculous. The light will be on and she'll say what I just... I'm I'm working that way. Let's all pray for Pastor Steve. I got so much stuff here. And I got notes. And I know I need to be done. And you guys are like, this is not what you want. But there's... I have tons and tons of verses that are on this stuff. God wants your body. God wants your body. 
Imagine what he could do with it. If I took my, if I bought some old wreck of a car, total terrible uh, 70 Mustang, wheels are falling off, rusted, can't even roll it up on a, on a trailer, and I take it over to Scott. So I'm like, Scott, unlimited money. Literally, unlimited money. I want this thing to be awesome. I want it to be the fastest Mustang ever. I want it to be the prettiest Mustang ever. I want it to have the loudest stereo ever. Everything. Unlimited money. If you've got to fly someone in from Saudi Arabia to put on a sticker, you have unlimited amount of resources. I'll pay you a million dollars a minute. I'll guarantee you, Scott will make it happen. What would God do with your body? If Scott can do that with a Mustang, what could the creator of the universe do with your body if you just gave it to him? If you ate what you're supposed to eat, if you did what you're supposed to do, if you slept the right amount, not too much and too little. And I have literally like tons of information that maybe I'll talk about tonight. But there are so many ways that we can give this to God. And think what he could do. Think what God could do with your body. Which would be your health. You know how one of the things that divine health is, is you don't get sick. People that believe in healing, they believe that you get sick and then you get healed. You know, it's way better just to not get sick. Way better. And if you, if you run this, if you, if you took that 70 Mustang and you decided to run it on water, after Scott did $10 million worth of work to it, it could be the most amazing thing that he ever did, biggest engine ever and everything. But you put water in there? And many of us run on sugar and caffeine and lack of sleep. And glowing screens, making your brain... They literally say that uh, four hours on a glowing screen does the exact same thing to your brain that meth. Meth. And I, I mean, like, those of you that are like computer people, like, I'm quitting my job! No, not, like, if you're working and you're engaging... Your, but I'm just saying, like, just sitting there, like, drooling, Facebook... It literally does to your brain what meth does. That is not what's going to make your vehicle run right. Amen? All right, got to be done. I know you guys are like, amen, let's stand up. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prosperity. 
prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.